welcome back to the 30th episode of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellett. In honor of the 2020 Summer Paralympic Games beginning yesterday, here's part two of Mac Marcoux and Tristan Rogers' story. When I left off last week, Rogers and I were discussing what goes into becoming the perfect guide for a para-alpine skier, even outside of the sport itself. You know, they say opposites attract, and I think that's the case for Mac and I. Um, you know, we have different hobbies outside of ski racing. He's really into, you know, the motorsports and stuff like that. And I, I'd rather do things outside, you know, still in nature, but without the use of a two-stroke engine and, and stuff like that. But I think what makes Mac and I work so well together is seeing each other's perspective and being really adaptable and, and being able to put each, like put ourselves in each other's shoes and understanding you know, knowing each other so well, we're able to be sympathetic towards each other and kind of have that give and take relationship. It's a relationship that I think is going to continue past, you know, my retirement. I hope, Mac, if you're watching, don't don't ghost me. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where where our relationship is going to take us. And and I think that. If we can continue to work together in, in the free ski world and more in, in mountain biking as well, I know that I've got a lot a lot of work to do as a mountain bike guide because I usually just get in my head and you know take off or am way too slow or kind of you know we've got a lot to, a lot of work to do in that aspect. But I think if we can continue to work together in other sports and kind of push the boundaries of what is possible for for disabled sport um, in in you know, a broader aspect than just the classic Paralympic sports, I think that'll be really special. The strong bond built over the past two years has grown to the point that the two are more like one brain. For Marcou, knowing exactly what Rogers needs to feel successful going into race day is important. Tristan and I will get up in the morning usually pretty early, depending on where we are and uh, what time a race starts. It's usually between, you know, 5.30, 6.30, we're up in the morning. Um, we usually have a morning warm up right kind of soon as you get out of bed. <laughs> so get up, get warm and um, just get the body moving, get the blood flowing and then, uh, you know, grab a quick bite to eat, come back. If we're right on snow from the hotel, we'll be getting dressed or, you know, pack up all our things to drive to drive to the hill. And then, uh, yeah, by the time we get on snow, the first thing we do, we get our first two warm-up runs in and it's usually pretty slow going doing lots of drills and just you know getting balanced and feeling good on our feet and then um, from there we'll go into an inspection where we'll you know slide through the course very slow and, and just look at everything and um, come up with a game plan where we want to be in certain areas and and find what key points or key sections in the course are going to make or break the the, the race round and then from there, we get out of the bottom and then go through a full visualization and top to bottom to talk about the course and make sure that we're on the right page. Um, and then, you know, if, it, if not, um, if we have a very short amount of time to start, we usually get up and try and get another higher speed warm up run in and just try and get good feelings. For me, it's really important to feel good on my skis before I get into, into a start yet. If I don't have, you know, a couple good turns linked up in the, in a warm up run, it's, hard to be in the right mindset or at least in the right state of mind dropping into a, into a race run. So find those good couple turns and then um, you kind of just 
come into a lull and find ways to distract yourself for a little bit and, until, uh, you know, 10 minutes before your start where we're doing a solid warm up again and kind of getting all the, all the little things done, you know, getting our, make sure our skis are, are set right. And, and, uh, and then it's, it's crazy before, you know, you're in the start gate, you have 30 seconds, you drop through, go through a really quick, uh, quick horse report with the coaches. They talk about, you know, how things are deteriorating, what we, what we talk about inspection, if it's working, if it's not, and then, uh, and then it's go time. That initial inspection period is of the utmost importance for Rogers. This is when he gets familiar with the track and accounts for all potential issues. So Mac and I do a really good job of inspecting together and making a game plan, finding lots of times we'll be on new hills. Um, so we'll kind of name each section uh, depending on, you know, a, a feature or a coach that's standing there um, and we'll kind of break it down into sections and you know every section represents something different if it's uh, you know for example a section where we need to slow down and make good technical moves to you know ensure that we finish the race or if it's a section where we can really put the hammer down and try and make up some time on our competitors um, you know we I think we do a good job of making that game plan so when I'm sitting at the top of the hill I'm just thinking about um, that plan and, and what's going to put me in the best position to execute that um, I think we do a lot of visualization um, either separately or, or together and um, you know it, it's funny it's almost like a it's almost like a script that you practice you remember each word that he's going to recognize that he's going to know and and uh, like the order, I wish they come. And yeah, from there, you just try and, like I said, put yourself in the best place to execute that plan. And and then once, once that's done, then you did everything you could. I think the cool part about ski racing is um, you never, ever, ever know what's gonna happen to everybody else. All you, you know is what's gonna happen to you and, and that's all you're kind of in control of, so. You try your best and then the rest is not in your hands. That's exactly why the priority is on visualization. Visualization is a huge part of, of my sport. Um, just ski racing in general, you know, tracks can be very long, you know, up to two, two and a half K long. Um, and you need to, in order to have a good run and know where you are on the track, it takes a lot of practice to, to know and, and be able to remember a full track and know where every bump, jump, roll and, every blind gate is, but over time, it's just something you practice and practice and practice. And for me, it's even more important because when I am taking a slow run, I can inspect and, and look at everything kind of up close and get an idea. And then I just kind of build a mental image of what that track looks like. So even, you know, if communication does get messed up or, you know, there's lots of times where radios disconnect and, and we're just kind of out there fending, fending for myself, following, I follow Tristan and use kind of every bit of body language that he, that he puts off, but I, uh, you know, sometimes you don't end up having that radio communication. So just being able to build a really good mental image of that track allows me to at least hopefully be in the right spot at the right time. And, uh, and just kind of gives you a little bit more of an advantage when it comes to, comes to race time. For Mac and I, when we, 
do break down the course into those sections and, and we have those keywords. Um, our visualization is just kind of, you know, going through those steps. Um, and every, every section kind of has a different feature or a different rhythm in, in the course. So just, for example, coming out of the start, a little bit turny. Okay, we're going to go over, example, in, in Panorama, the first feature is basketball. And if there's like a, a double under basketball, then, you know, it'll be okay over basketball, left foot double, turny section, onto the flats, something like that, you know, keeping it really simple and, and really making sure that Mac knows what's coming without overloading him with information because he's he is fairly independent and he is able to remember those sections and with my information kind of recognize where he is in the course and know what's going to be coming up. Um, so yeah, just almost like a reminder of where he is because for me, I can see two, three gates ahead. I, I scan constantly the course to see where we're at and what's coming up and Mac doesn't have that ability, right? He can just kind of hardly see my yellow jacket and, and my boots and, the snow texture is fairly difficult for him to process and, and kind of recognize the bumpier sections. So that's also something that I'll talk about. And yeah, I think just trying to keep it simple and, and make it as um, precise, but not overwhelming as I can. The terminology of para-alpine skiing took some time for Rogers to get a grasp on when he began guiding. With the help of Team Canada, coupled with Marcuse's perfected style, the cadence became more fluid, and the terms flowed well between the two. Maybe some some terms that we use often are just in relation to the rhythm in the course. So, um, you know, if I say turny, then he knows, like, he's got to have more direction in his skiing. And, and if I say, okay, let her go, then he knows that he can kind of trust the ski and, and trust my line and and you know let it let the gravity pull him down the hill without worrying about if he's going to make the next gate um a lot of the terminology is um the importance are are the words that you don't use like the oh my god or or you know things that are really negative or surprising because um i think that's that has a bigger effect than um you know, using the right words is to use the wrong words. And, and that's where you can go wrong, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, because if you had your eyes closed and you were following someone and they were like, holy cow, you know, like the first thing you do is stand up and, and kind of like brace yourself for something. And a lot of those times it's like pretty unnecessary. Um, like Max really strong. He's usually able to make it through those difficult sections and I, I have a lot of trust in him that he will so um yeah I think it's less about the words that you're using and more about the words that you shouldn't use. <laughs> a huge aspect of visualizing the course from Roger's perspective is getting the timing down. Lagging behind on a call could potentially be the difference between finishing in first and serious injury. You know going so fast um in the speed disciplines like I've got to be aware of the fact that by the time he processes the information that I'm giving him, he'll usually be around the spot where I was. Um, I think in the tech disciplines, I can be a little bit more 
uh, a little bit quicker with the information because the speeds are a lot slower. Um, for example, in slalom, if I'm coming into a combo, then I can tell him kind of when I get into it, I'll say hairpin or something like that, and he'll know that the next gate is a hairpin. But for example, in speed, if I if I'm in the double and I'm telling him, okay, left foot double or something like that, then usually by then he's already done it, and um, you know, so I've got to be aware of of how fast we're going and the the timing that I have to deliver that uh, message. But in terms of delay, I, I think the radios are really, really, really good, and there's no there's no delay. It's kind of like being on a conference call when you're skiing. It's it's pretty constant, just staying like communicating back and forth. Um, it's a lot more, you know, between every gate or two gates, we usually have cues. We do a you know inspection before a run and and take a look at a course and get to know every bump rule and. Um, know where we need to be on uh, in certain sections of the course so he's pretty much providing that feedback that we had talked about in the inspection the whole way down along with relaying you know stuff that might have changed since inspection like holes in the snow and and uh and stuff that happens with the earth road deterioration of the course while it's being you know ran ahead of us marco added the visualization is so important because rarely do things go to plan the snow melts bumps appear that weren't there during inspection the ground is unpredictable, and that's what makes Roger's role so important. The time between loading the start gate and propelling down the hill is spent getting an updated report on the deterioration of the path from coaches, along with some lighthearted banter. For me, for me, the the thirty second is to be able to go through really quick and look at like in my head, just look. At, I guess imagine myself in each key section of the course that I know that I need to be in the right spot. Um, and then usually we're, we're, it's pretty light. We're pretty, we're joking around for the most part and just having fun. And, um, you know, you can plan as far ahead as you want, but in a race course, very rarely do things go to plan. <laughs> so you're going to make mistakes and there's lots of, uh, improvising and, um, you know, adapting to those mistakes. And, and, uh, I think if you plan too hard or overthink things, it's really easy to get caught. For Rogers, the lead-up to the starting gate involves not only communication of the upcoming run, but prior to that, waking up in the morning and visualizing the entire day from start to finish. For the two of us, this really goes both ways. If we're feeling a little bit tired or a little bit unmotivated, then we just try and pump each other up and remind each other why we do it. And uh, I think one thing that really gives us motivation is having a plan. And, uh, you know, when you draw it out, kind of either mentally or, or physically on paper when you're making your plan for the day um, to kind of have objectives. Like we're going to do an inspection and two free ski runs, and then we're going to do two runs of the best that we can. And that's it, you know, and, and kind of having those things to look forward to, I think makes it a lot easier when we're not feeling well. Even though the Marcoux Rogers duo came prepared with Marcoux's cues rather solidified, there's always work to be done. In a sport where mere seconds delineate first from second, the cues need to be perfectly timed. Yeah, it's definitely, that's something that just is one of those things that's like a constant work in progress. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time just figuring out um, what kind of information I need and how do we make it as short and sweet as physically possible because, you know, in a, in a speed race when you're doing upwards of 110, 120k an hour, you're 
by the time he says it, we're already there. So it's uh, it's very much just like, you know, quick cues um, that we've, you know, been using for, for years and it started and, you know, it works. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're constantly messing with new things. And as my vision deteriorates more and more over the years, I started needing more information or different information. So it's, um, yeah, it's constantly evolving just terminology that, that we're working with. A lot of my decisions affect our speed or our our line choice and, and things like that. So it is really important for me to keep that in mind and, and be aware of the, the fact that my decisions are not only affecting me, but also somebody else. And, um, you know, it, it comes down to being calm, being really um, focused, being in the moment and, and making the right decisions. And the right decisions about um, what words to use. Um, and uh, I think that that's the, one of the biggest things that I've learned is, is just staying calm in, in those kind of moments of holy cow, you know? Staying calm in those holy cow moments is what has allowed Marku and Rogers to get to the competitions that they performed in. They've not only medaled in all eight World Cup appearances, they've won gold. And, uh, but, you know, no expectations for the results. I, I'm really excited to get back and start gay with Mac. And um, after almost, it's going to be close to two years of no racing. I'm, I'm just excited to see where we're at and see if we still got it. Remember going to the entrance? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Follow uh, you. Traverse, over. In January 2021, a documentary was made about Marku and Rogers. It's called Blind Faith, and the link to watch it is in the show notes. It captured the way that the two train together to free ski in the backcountry and the struggles that para-alpine skiing presents. Yeah, it's only it's only been out for a couple months now, and it's been... Uh... Yeah, it's been getting a lot of really good um, feedback. So I'm super stoked and just so grateful to have had the opportunity to do that with Whistler and Telus. And yeah, uh, they did a they did a really good job putting it together. But I got to give a huge <laughs> shout out to the editing team because they uh, they killed it. GoPro cameras were attached to helmets, and stunning aerial shots of the rough Canadian mountains set the scene for Marcuse free skiing adventures. The documentary, 25 minutes in length, sat down Marcu. Rogers and a staff of supporting characters like family and Team Canada training staff. Yeah, lots of we did lots of it with GoPros, and um, we worked with just a, vid, a couple of videographers actually throughout um, like eight, ten days of filming, and pretty much, yeah, yeah, lots of it was GoPro, and then lots of it was just you know two different camera angles and um, just working to get decent shots of of each each line. One of those shots involved Rogers literally falling off the mountain. He laughs about it now, but the implications of a guide falling on race day are dangerous. Yeah, it's it's cool when, when guides fall for the most part. It's, um, you know, in ski racing, like within turns, you have a lot of Gs pushing the, pulling the other direction. So when you do crash, you end up out of line very quick. So it's not too much worried about, you know, hitting him or anything like that. It's, um, you know, sometimes you end up with a little bit of debris on the track between gates kind of breaking or, um, you know, in the past by not as much Tristan or, or Jack actually, but my brother and I kind of progressed together 
um, in ski racing. So, you know, we were both learning at the same time and um, there was a lot of crashing and, <laughs> and, uh, and falling along the way. So we, uh, yeah, you know, I've hit skis and whatever not, and it can be a little bit dangerous, but for the most part, you end up very far out of line. Um, and, you know, when a guide falls, it's, it's the same as if an athlete falls, it's just an immediate DSQ and um, we're back up to the top and try it again. Up to date since Mount Hood, I have a 100% finish rate. Um, thankfully, the only time I fall was caught on a video documentary on YouTube with 50,000 views. So love that for me. Thank you very much. And uh, but yeah, in the case where where it is, uh, you know, for example, if it happens in the World Cup or at the games, World Championships, it's something that you know I prepare for and mentally you know you, you kind of understand that that's a possibility um and i think in that case the only thing that kind of can save you and and bring you back in terms of confidence is knowing that until then you did everything you could to ensure that doesn't happen um every every training run for mac and i is uh, a chance for me to solidify my technique and and my kind of approach to guiding mac I think that for me, um, always getting better at skiing and improving and, and getting faster and faster and faster has allowed me to be a lot more confident guiding Mac. I know that when I, you know, put the orange jacket on and, and we're getting ready to, you know, drop into a GS run or something like that, then I have the ability to do that without making any mistakes. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, if you do make a mistake, then... Um, you know that you did everything you could and um, yeah, I think just no regrets. When when you look back at it, you you tried you tried to make it perfect and it, it's not always gonna be that way. Um, because we are in a sport where there are so many things that can go wrong. <laughs> when Rogers gets to the bottom of a run successfully, he's flooded by pure relief. Yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement for me. It's mostly relief, um, you know, kind of being able to thank God that worked out or, or something like that, you know. And um, uh, the special part about guiding a visually impaired skier is you get to see the scoreboard before they do. And uh, you get to break that news to them if, if you know, they did well or or not. Um, you kind of have a gut feeling if you had a good run, but you never know, like I said, how everybody else performed. So for the guy to be able to look at the scoreboard and see green and break that news to the athlete, I think is the most special part of the day. Um, and sharing that enjoyment together in the finish is, is really, really special. And, and it's unique because, um, like I said, you're the one who gets to break that news to, to the athlete. Um, Thankfully, we, we've never gone to the bottom and, and seen red, but I'm sure that's going to be difficult. Um, it's going to happen eventually, and, and you know, got to be prepared for that. But, um, yeah, we're just going to focus on seeing green and, and being happy in the finish for now. <laughs> While Rogers immediately sees the scoreboard successes, Marcuse's thoughts go straight to what can be fixed for the next run. It depends on the track. Um... Sometimes, lots of the time, it's uh, it's pretty squirrely. <laughs> um, the runs that are pretty loose are the most fun. So you come down just kind of pump full of adrenaline and just, you know, having a great time. And some runs you come through and you're thinking about the mistakes you made and 
when you look at the time you see where where those mistakes um how big they were and what they affected um on the clock so you know there's definitely mixed emotions lots of the time sometimes you're thinking about things you could have done better most of the time you are right away especially for me when i don't get to see the time right away by the time i wheel over the timing board um i have enough time to look back on the run and think about things i could have done better and um tristan and i talked right away and we're like oh this was good but this could have been better and vice versa and um but that's about it for the most part until we get to look at the timing board and then from there we uh <laughs> we decide uh you know whether it was good enough or or if it's back to the drawing board when every run means so much it's helpful for marku and rogers to have team canada's sports medicine staff behind them i really really do believe that your performance is kind of linked with your emotional state and um you know your physiology is so dependent on you know your stress and and stuff like that so i think it's important to keep everything under control and and be really aware and you know as athletes we're so in tune with our bodies that we're able to detect when something's off and uh as soon as you do feel that i think it's important to take a step back and recognize where that comes from and so yeah i think that's where the mental aspect of it kicks in is just continuously checking in with yourself and um yeah making sure that you're in the best place emotionally to do your job we're really 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 lucky to be able to work with our sports psych John Coleman he does a lot for our team um, last summer with with covid um and not being able to be on snow he launched a mental strength training program for us to work on and you know some of us took it really well and others like me were really busy during the summer like i had three courses going in my engineering program so i wasn't able to fully commit to it but i tried tried my best and kind of continued to progress through that program throughout the fall and when i was able to really get into it it made a huge difference for me for as long as i can remember uh, pretty much my whole 10 years on the on the circuit we've been we've been working with the sports psych and um you know just building good um mental habits and working on different different little things that that make the big difference and um and yeah i think with them you know working with with John I don't know if a lot of us uh, needed him over the years for sure we've been uh, uh up and down and you know he's just someone that can keep us on the right track or at least help us get through whatever uh whatever's really been chomping chomping at our heels I think uh you know with different crashes and then just you know going through ups and downs um I think in sport lots of athletes go through high and low points just mentally and I think it's super important to have someone at least alongside to help coach you through it. At the national level, Marku and Rogers are now just fine-tuning the things that will give them a leg up on the international slopes. Rogers prioritizes keeping in mind that the mental state has to be in peak performance mode in order to do what he does to the best of his ability. The second he feels something is off, it needs to be addressed in that moment. I also do believe that you know, you are the same person you were yesterday and physiologically nothing's changed so if you're feeling a little off and you're not feeling like you're able to do it it's important to remind yourself that you know nothing's nothing's changed and um you know in, in Tim Orlick's book in Pursuit of Excellence he talks a little bit about um gymnasts who go through their warm up um and don't feel like 
you know, they're able to do it or feel a little bit stressed or off. And uh, he tries to remind them that, you know, it doesn't, it does matter, but it, it's not the end of the day. If you're having a bad day, you know, you're still the same person you were when you were having the good days. And, and I think there's always that ability to find it from deep within to have a good performance, even when the mental side isn't there or you're feeling tired or jet lagged or a little bit sick. And, and it's always possible to pull something out of you. For Rogers, fine-tuning his physical game comes at times without Marku behind him. He trains by himself to tighten aspects of his runs up, but the focus at the end of the day is his work as a guide. As a guide, I, I do, I think, more for myself than other guides have in the past. Um, if, for example, we have a two-week break from, from our training and, and I have two weeks off of guiding Mac, I'll usually try and fill those two weeks with, you know, training with either my home club in Motromo or, or stay at the venue and, and train with their team or whoever I can jump in with really. And, and I think the, I just have to say how supportive the ski racing community here in Canada is, but the most important obviously is guiding Mac. And as soon as that orange jacket's on and, and the headset's on my helmet, then I'm kind of a new person and, and I kind of switch into that role. And, um, once I'm in it, it's 100%. It's all about Mac. And uh, yeah, it's it's been, at the beginning, a little bit difficult to make that switch. Um, but now it's really fluid. And, and I feel like um, switching into that role has become really easy for me. While the two of them are enjoying the grueling practices and preparation, both are content to keep this peak performance up for as long as life will let them. You know, being able to you know, just go to bed happy and like you had the best day ever. It's uh, it's a pretty great feeling and I'm going to try and do that as much as I can for the rest of my life. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's there's something different when, you know, you come home and you just, you know, you feel like a six-year-old kid that just had the best day ever. And uh, <laughs> and if I can do that every day, I, I'm, I'm going to try. It's one thing to put your head down and, and grind it out and, and really disregard everything from the social aspect to, you know, the travel to, you know, and it's one thing to, you know, put your head down and focus only on the task at hand. And I think you find success from that. Um, a lot of athletes have, and a lot of athletes will, but if you're looking for longevity in the sport, I think you need to, broaden your horizons and, and enjoy all aspects of it, whether it be the people and the community and the places that you get to see. And um, I think that's probably the most important part for promoting longevity in, in ski racing is um, to find the enjoyment piece and that fun factor. Um, because we are extremely, extremely lucky that we get to practice a sport where um, improving is so much fun. Like you just get to do your sport to get better at it, right? You're not, uh, I always think of Nordic skiing and, and they just suffer, suffer so much to improve, but we're so lucky that we get to enjoy it so much. For Marku, the external pressures of high-level competition have never gotten to him. There's definitely a lot of external pressures from from sponsors and, and you know, within the team and, you know, within the media. And um, those are all things that, 
for myself, I've been very good at, um, you know, realizing that there is the external pressure, but being able to, you know, still focus on the task at hand. And, and at the end of the day, um, I'm going to go out and do the best I can. And, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with, with the community and with sponsors and, and people to, uh, you know, that's good enough, no matter what, you know, if we come home, come home with a medal, everyone's just as stoked as if we came home and crashed five times. So um, the external pressures have never been a really big issue and internal, you know, I've always, there's always going to be a little bit of internal pressure from, from, you know, yourself trying to, trying to be better and do better and, and that sort of deal. But at the end of the day, I think for me, just making sure that I can come out satisfied with the way we skied and, and happy, you know, happy with the whole experience. I think that's the, that's the biggest goal and um, something that I try and stay true to. The next big goal on the docket for Marku and Rogers is qualifying for the 2022 Winter Paralympic Games in Beijing, China in March. Both Marku and Rogers have been back in the weight room and the building blocks of off-snow training are equally as important. We're in it. We're, <laughs> we've been giving her for the last three years now. Um, pretty much nonstop. Um, it's been a very interesting three years with everything that's been going on in the world. And, um, you know, as I get a little bit older and a lot more wear and tear on my body, I spend a lot more time uh, rehabbing these days. <laughs> I feel like I'm not as bendy as I was when I was 16. But, um, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been quite the grind over the last couple of years. I've been actually, um, ironically, dealing with the same issues that my brother had been dealing with before 2014 so um it's been three years of just trying to keep uh, my back stable and and in a good spot along with um you know fixing fixing old injuries with knees and and that sort of deal so it's been uh it's been pretty crazy and then throwing COVID on top of that it's been uh <laughs> it's been outrageous so we've just been rolling with the punches but trying to get as much time as we can on snow and Alpine Canada and our our staff with with Canadian Paralpine crew has been so good in you know giving us the most opportunity possible just to get on snow and get as many miles in as we can so um yeah we're here we're doing it we're been grinding in whistler all summer and trying to get on snow as soon as we can to to start our build up here <laughs> right now we're in the gym we've just wrapped up um kind of since may full-time training and we're going to go into our fitness testing this week and hopefully see where we stand but um you know in the off season you kind of disconnect from ski racing and, and focus on um your health and and your conditioning and your physical state and i think from a emotional and mental perspective it's really important to always be checking in and, and seeing where you're at even as his eyesight continues to slowly deteriorate marku isn't ready yet to hang up the skis i don't know if i'll ever be done and maybe transition from ski racing into you know, other aspects. I've been having a lot of fun pushing myself in sports that, you know, aren't really recognized as a sport for people with disabilities. Um, so being done in a career sense of ski racing, I'm sure one day I'll get to that point. I've always said that if I ever get to the point where I have fewer good days than bad, than bad days, or if it's starting to become too much of a job, I don't want to ruin the, you know, the sport that I've fallen in love with. And and I've spent so much of my life doing it. I don't want to ruin it for myself. So um, if I ever get to that point, I'm sure 
I'm sure. But um, until then, I'm going to try and push as hard as I can and make sure I can, uh, you know, try and try and keep up with the with the younger kids as much as I can. You know, doing as much as I possibly can while I can still do it is a big thing. Um, and, you know, like, I'm not saying that I won't be able to do it, but while I can do it in this capacity, I'm going to try and do as much as I can and see how far I can push myself. And I think that's something that, you know, keeps me very mentally in a good headspace, being able to push myself, have fun, scare myself as much as I can and, uh, and just enjoy playing outside. Um, so, you know, over the years, I've definitely transitioned from just being a very hardcore ski racer and, and someone that, you know, just, was so stoked to be between between the fences and going fast and now you know i'm looking into every different aspect of skiing and trying to spend as much time playing in the backcountry and um just pushing myself down kind of new avenues and finding different ways to stay motivated is a has been a huge thing so you know outside of skiing playing on riding mountain bikes a ton and um snowmobiling has also been a huge impact so finding balance i think um just kind of consistently pushing myself as much as I can has been kind of the saving grace throughout the whole thing. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into parts one and two of Mac and Tristan's story. I'm so honored to have gotten to sit down with the two of them. Mac's story is incredible, and I want to wish the two of them the best of luck qualifying for the Beijing Games. You can follow their journeys on Instagram at MacMarku and at Tristan Rogers. While you're there, give at Closer Mental a follow as well to keep up with the stories I've been telling. I have a lot more awesome content where this one came from. Next week, Spencer Horowitz, a baseball player for the Toronto Blue Jays organization, comes on to talk about his relationship with panic attacks and how he mistakenly attributed them to his sport participation. But until then, see you next week. Mm -hmm.